Thanks for listening to this podcast of Trending with Timory from the Relevant Radio app. Anything you share in terms of episodes, whether it's texting it to a friend, posting on social media, helps to build up the kingdom for God to help confront the challenging issues we face as a culture, but with joy, with hope, and with an eternal perspective where our faith collides with everyday life, bringing eternal principles to help us live our life joyfully. So, what's trending? Bridging your Catholic faith with your everyday life. You're listening to Trending with Timory on Relevant Radio. Okay, have you watched the interview with Elon Musk talking to Tucker Carlson about artificial intelligence? I'm going to break down and play part of the interview in a little bit here on Trending. I think much of what Elon Musk is saying is telling, but there's a lot he's not saying as well. The fact that there's been a split between him and other innovators in the tech and AI world is significant. And we're not just talking about a split, but bad blood on the issue. And why was his bot released last year ahead of some of the forthcoming bots coming out from Microsoft along with Google? All of it means something. I'm going to explain to you why. We'll break down the interview, talk about it from a Catholic perspective. What's the Catholic take on artificial intelligence? It's pretty incredible what AI can do. It's a little scary, some of what it has done, and it's terrifying to think about what it could do if not left checked. So we'll talk about that a little later today on Trending. But on that same note, I think it's important at the same time to talk about comfort and work and how there's value in both comfort and work and where that fits into the whole conversation surrounding AI. Because with artificial intelligence comes two things, the idea that we don't have to do as much as human beings, therefore the bot can do the job, as well as you can be more comfortable. You have the time to leisurely follow the things you want to do, which is great, but what are we putting in the meantime in its place? So we'll talk about that with today, the topic of work and comfort. We'll be just discussing this with the founder of Fathers of St. Joseph, along with an author on a number of Catholic books, especially having to do with masculinity and fatherhood. That is Devin Shat, again, the founder of Fathers of St. Joseph. Devin, welcome back to Trending. Yeah, thanks for having me. It's great to be with you. I've been thinking a lot about this whole idea of comfort. You and I were talking a little bit about comfort in light of artificial intelligence earlier today, and many people lean toward technologies and interference in our lives in good ways. And a great example, my most recent house I bought, I thought, okay, I have two kids now, keeping up with the floors and keeping them clean. I got, you know, a quote unquote iRobot, one of those vacuum cleaners that cleans for you and makes a lot of noise as it does it <laughs> and sometimes gets stuck on the cords. Uh, this, this has been really helpful, right? And it's amazing. It can even return back to its docking station when it's done if it hasn't run out of batteries. The dishwasher, incredible invention. We can save time and choose to better put our time into other things. So the technology is doing an output for us that would normally be something we might engage in. And we are freed up to do other things. For me, it's more time to be with my kids. And I think that's a win. But sometimes I think the comforts of technology can go too far. We'll talk about it from the perspective of work and how it usurps work. But I want to talk about it now from the perspective of comfort. What are your thoughts? Yeah, well, that's a lot there. But I think that 
I think with technology, technology is awesome in that it allows us to do like, I love power drills. I'm not a big fan of manual drills. Like I like cars. I don't like horses and carriages. Right. So, I mean, there's, <laughs> there's a lot of benefits with technology, but I think that what, what can happen though with us is that technology can lead to escapism and comfortism and comforts aren't bad, but comforts are kind of like the reward of putting in a hard day's work. But I think that in our culture, a lot of times what we're doing is we're escaping from reality mm-hmm. um, because we just don't want to face the hard work. I think like w- that what it brings to mind is acedia. Um, it's yes. a f- like kind of like a form of sloth, right? It's just the disdain for doing the good or the disdain of being active, working. And I think that the disgust with activity is something that's very prevalent in our culture because we just don't want to try to do anything spiritually good um, because we just want to have a life of comfort, a life of ease. So I think that there's a balance. I I think that what's really at stake though, it's very important because I think that like for me, I just, my personal experiences up to the age of 24, I was lazy. I I did not want to work. I hated work. I recoiled from, I resisted it. But then what happened though was I remained effeminate. I remained soft. I couldn't help others with their projects because I never had any experience myself. I mean, I remember one time as a young young man being invited over to a guy's house and we had put up drywall and I couldn't wait to leave because I'd like was so worked up about not having any experience in it. But I wow. think that, yeah. So, but once I embraced work and this is the key, I started to see that I was actually able to give back. I was assuming responsibility and that it empowered me and gave me a real self-confidence. And so what I think really is at stake is in escapism or pursuing a life of comfort is that we lose our manhood. We, and I think this is really important because the boy, he's dependent on everyone else. And then therefore he becomes lazy. He wants to play, he seeks comfort. And then there's no contribution really from him to the people around him. And he remains effeminate and soft. Whereas the spiritual father or the real man He's dependable. People can depend on him because he's assumed sacrificial responsibility. And so I think if I was to canopy this whole thing, God in the beginning gave Adam dominion. He said, subdue the earth, have dominion over it. And that Hebrew word for dominion is rada, which literally means to prevail against. And so what's going on there is God gives man work to Mm -hmm. first to prevail against himself, Mm -hmm. to prevail against his weakness his lack of perseverance, his lack of patience, the acceptance of failure to learn and be successful. So work is there to help us to prevail against ourselves, but then also it allows us to prevail against the enemy in the spiritual life and to actually prevail in relationships, to remain married, to work for your marriage, to to remain a great father, a great mother, to remain, you know, in your, in your family life. So I think that what's really at stake is when we settle for comfortism, we lose our manhood, we lose our patrimony, we lose the death of a country, and eventually we lose our salvation. Yeah, because we don't think about God anymore. And I think that's significant in everything you're saying, because we have a freedom that's fundamental to being a human being. We have intellect and free will. But that intellect and that free will is meant to be oriented toward coming to know what is good, right, true, and beautiful. 
to contemplate it, to pursue it, and to live it out. And that's a very, very significant. And that's when later on I'm going to be talking about artificial intelligence, how that intervenes and what it means to be a human being, uh, the way mm-hmm. AI is developing today. But something you just said was significant about how all of this in a certain respect is oriented toward who we are as human beings, especially in terms of living at your vocation, what you're called to. And that basically when we allow for comfort to consume us, we create a living hell that is a Mm. life Mm. void of God. And I think that's very, Mm. very significant because when we talk about leisure, when we talk about culture, leisure is a wonderful thing that all of us human beings actually need to do more of. I would say the majority of human beings in Western society in the developing nations, that we become workaholics or and the things that we obsessively do in our so-called leisure time are not actually leisurely things, such as scrolling social media, playing video games. Uh, we don't know what leisure is, but true leisure, true rest is oriented toward worship. That is that when we rest, we activate the intellect and we freely orient ourselves toward pursuing truth toward contemplating truth, and toward praying. And all of that is done through leisure that cultivates that restfulness of the mind, that cultivates that action of meditation and contemplation. It's all oriented toward prayer and the pursuit of truth. But that doesn't happen in the way we're supposedly resting or engaging in comfort today. And I think that's why a quote from Pope Benedict Sixteenth now deceased, really stands with me and has for years. He once said, the world offers you comfort, but you weren't made for comfort. You were made for greatness. It's one of my favorite quotes. It's one of my favorite quotes. I think probably one of two of my most used quotes ever. And Devin, I'm so glad you said that because we are offered comfort, but it's not what we're made for. We're made for an act of worship of God and to conform our lives toward his vision for our lives. Yeah, absolutely. I I, want to go back to what you said about a living hell. Um, You know, this idea of, you know, living in comfort so much that becomes a living hell. That is true because what is hell? And I think we just have to look to the opposites. What is heaven? Heaven is, Trinity is union in relationship. Three persons, totally one, self-giving. God wants us to enter into that self-giving love for all eternity, which is going to give up so much joy and peace and bliss. Well, hell is exactly the opposite. Hell is eternal isolation with a bit of cosmic abuse, maybe even cosmic rape. The, the devils, you know, the demons will attack us periodically, but then we're in isolation. And I think that when, on this topic of work, what is going on here is when we become capable, when we challenge ourselves, then we become capable of actually contributing towards society and our families among friends, we're able to help one another and we form a communion with others. But when we, when we don't challenge, a man not challenge, challenges no man. So if I'm not challenging myself, I can never challenge another man to be a real man. A man not challenged, challenges no man. But if I actually challenge myself and I work at work and I become better at work and then I become more creative, more talented, then what happens is I'm able to contribute to the lives of others and I make their lives better. Otherwise, it is a living hell because I'm afraid I can't help anyone else. I can't even help myself. And someone might say, who are you to say that people are engaging in living hell by their engagement of comfort today? It's true. 
It's true. Literally, the expectancy of how long we will live has gone down because so many people have killed themselves via alcoholism, drug abuse, and suicide. And that's the truth of the matter, especially over the last five to ten years. So many young people are dying. That's a living hell. People are looking for an escape from reality, and they're thinking that that will come with death. And for many people, especially in an increasingly pagan culture, that isn't in hope of the resurrection life with Christ. For many people, it's in hope of alleviation from pain and this idea of nothingness with Buddhism and Hinduism increasingly being uh, thought-provoking for many people in an ideology that they are living in. And when you mention work, if you're just joining us, you're listening to Trending with Timory here on Relevant Radio. Joining me today is author and the founder of the Fathers of St. Joseph. You can find them at found you can find them at founder at fathersofstjoseph.org. Devin Shat is here with me. Devin, you're talking about work, and I think all of this is significant. And we combine comfort and the value of work in light of artificial intelligence, which I'll be talking more about AI later on today. I keep thinking about specifically the saint benedict himself we were citing pope benedict earlier but i think mm -hmm. it's significant mm -hmm. that ben saint benedict had this mythology within the order that has shaped monasticism and it's significant because it's this whole idea of aura at labora that is mm -hmm. prayer at work and work and prayer and that the two go hand in hand now in an age where we're looking at artificial intelligence taking over a lot of our work so that we can have a greater level of comfort we miss what was an ancient old tradition, even for the monks, that the monks weren't only meant to pray all the time, but they were meant to have jobs and that those jobs were meant to complement and combine with their prayer. And the two went hand in hand for the spiritual development of the individual monks. And we too are called to that development as lay people as well. Oh yeah, uh, I, I totally agree. And I think that I think a man who does not persevere at work is a man who will not persevere at prayer because that's work is there to teach us that. I think, I think what we have to, there's not, we got to take away the false dichotomies. So when we think of comfort, we think of a place of anti-pain and we mm -hmm. tend to mm -hmm. say, we tend to regulate pain as being all bad, but mm -hmm. say that to an Olympic athlete or say that to a mother who's given birth is pain all bad. No, the mother who gives birth, she she actually looks back on that experience with great joy. The Olympic athlete or anybody who's training, yes, they kind of like, they feel the pain, but that pain becomes a hurt so good kind of thing because they know they're growing their muscles. They know they're growing in their training. So not all pain is bad, but pain, it, this is the book of James, the letter, he says that pain or trials leads to patience. That patience, if we embrace it, leads to perseverance. That perseverance then leads to perfection. And this is the key. God wants us to be like him. God wants to share his glory. God is not like the devil. The devil hoards his glory. God wants to share his glory with us. He wants us to become like him, as First Epistle of John says. We will become like him when we see him. That's what John says. Well, God wants to share his glory, but in order to do that, we have to have a little bit of pain that will teach us to be patient, that patience will teach us to be perseverant, which is courage, and then that will perfect us. Well, that leans right into prayer, okay? So you can apply, I think that's why the oral uh, labora works very well is because like when I am working, like I'm building a retaining wall or I'm digging out something or whatever it is, I, I am actually praying, I'm thinking, but yeah, it's teaching me perseverance so that when I'm 
the next prayer time when I don't feel like it, and this is the problem, I don't feel like it, I still do it. And that's precisely when more grace, I feel like that there's more grace given, I have a deeper connection with God. And I think that what's really at stake is the boy, when he doesn't feel like it, he doesn't do it. Mm. The man, the man, when he doesn't feel like it, he does it and he perseveres and therefore he's perfected. And that's prayer. How many times do we actually feel like going to prayer? I can tell you more times than not, I don't feel like getting up out of my bed and praying early in the morning or staying up late at night and praying. But when I do, the grace is is tremendous. So I think that there's a deep connection between work and prayer, and God gives us that work to train us for prayer because prayer is most important. It's communication with God. The greatest thing that we will ever be able to do is to actually have intimacy and divine union with God. And if we're not working at that right now, well then there's probably not going to be much of it after this life. Mm. And I think that's significant, especially when you think about Genesis chapter 3. We read it took two chapters of sacred scripture for (laughs) the human being to get things wrong. And in Genesis chapter 3, there we have the fall of man, and we all suffer concupiscence, that tendency towards sin as a result. And part of that pain for specifically men will be that there will be toil in providing, in work, and for women that there will be pain in childbirth. And so in our fallen human nature, toil is meant to be part of what we experience. And it's through that toil, through that through that difficulty, and sometimes what we perceive as a terror in life, that is through which we come to union with God. And you mentioned just a moment ago about how in the epistle of John, we have this understanding that we become like God. We we enter into this union and this life with God. Well, that's the perfection of the human being. That is life with God. And as I think about artificial intelligence and people trying to create a new God, when I think about uh, mm. artificial intelligence and the capability that technology can take over all of our jobs in life, we miss the fact that we are meant to toil. That age-old adage, Devin, of no pain, no gain, that for some reason, I think in particular, we're seeing Gen Z and even those not in Gen Z with this great re- resignation that we're experiencing don't want anything painful in terms of physical Mm -hmm. toil because emotionally they're suffering so deeply that when on the level of the spirit they're in such a state of uh, horrible suffering and pain because they're missing god what's the point of physical labor today yeah yeah i I think c.s lewis he said that uh hardship often prepares an ordinary person for an extraordinary destiny or something like that hardship often prepares an ordinary person for an extraordinary destiny. And isn't that what we all want? Deep down, every generation, even Gen Z or whoever, they all want an extraordinary destiny. But but basically what's going on is we don't want to put the effort into that. And and I think that we're we're not recognizing that hardship, even though it seems to be, yeah, terror, fear, it can often shape us. I mean, like when was the last time you talked about like a you know, like a, a memory that was quite normal, you know, and quite good, and there was no problems. But I remember when my basement flooded, I remember when I blew up the car engine, you know, I remember bad things, you know what I mean? And it's, and why do we remember those bad things? Why are those memories so acute? Or why are they so right there in the forefront of our mind? Because we got through it, we persevered. And there's kind of like a victory in that, you know, and I think that you, you talk to people, you get around, like I talk to guys, some of the greatest stories is their greatest accomplishments that were forged in trial and tests and tribulations. And I think that 
That's why we're depressed is because we're trying to avoid that at all costs. We're trying to avoid all forms of suffering and therefore can't be forged to great into greatness. I think the challenge for us is to ponder to ponder the fact that we're made to toil. It's a good thing. And that in that toil, we're meant to orient ourselves toward prayer and that doing seemingly meaningless tasks, it could be something such as washing dishes, changing diapers, caring for children, digging a hole, putting up drywall. So many things that seem in the eyes of the 21st century so-called mind-numbing yet really actually are not. What's mind-numbing is the way we're engaging in technology, living a life so heavily influenced and void of God uh, that, as we mentioned earlier, it's a living hell. That is what we are creating when we allow technology to take over our lives and to pursue comfort in the wrong way. We're made for rest oriented toward worship. We're made for work oriented toward human growth and excellence, not to allow our lives to be taken over by technology. Thank you so much for joining me today, Devin. Devin Shat is an yeah, author and the founder of the Fathers of St. Joseph. You can find him and his work at fathersofstjoseph.org. That's fathersofstjoseph.org. We'll be right back here on Trending to talk about artificial intelligence. Do you hear the startling interview of Elon Musk with Tucker Carlson this week? I'll share it with you now in just a moment here on Trending. We'll break it down and give a Catholic take on artificial intelligence. This is your update of what you need to know on the latest with regard to AI. Listening to Trending with Timory, where you can discuss what matters most to you. Join the conversation, 888-914-9149. Are you up to date with what's happening with artificial intelligence? Well, it would seem that even the creators of AI aren't even up to date with what's happening, and that is what is startling. I want to give you my take on what's happening with AI, how far we've come, warnings from even tech innovators themselves, such as Elon Musk and others, and to give a Catholic take on it, because I think it's interesting. What I want to do is I want to start by walking through the interview that Elon Musk did this week with Tucker Carlson. These 10 minutes are telling. We're going to walk through all of it bit by bit in pieces. But here's the bottom line. If you didn't know this, Elon Musk has gone through a major rift with Larry Page, who's one of the co-founders of Google. Now, Larry Page and Elon Musk have been talking about and innovating with AI for a long time. He's even been involved in how far even the work of Larry Page has gone in artificial intelligence. Well, they had a rift. They spent one night among many days, but one night at Larry Page's Palo Alto home, and this was some time ago, arguing over limitations on artificial intelligence, to which it led to a final straw, a rift between the two, because in the words of Elon Musk, and you'll hear them here in just a moment, there's no conscience, there's no limitation, uh, there's no thought for the protection of human beings on the part of Larry Page. And so what that led to, if you're not aware, I'm sure many people are, to a non-for-profit company called OpenAI. Now, OpenAI is who gave us the most recent and innovative bot known as ChatGPT that was released last fall. Now, here's all of this is fascinating because what 
and I think this is my early take on this as I'll break this down in a moment, but I think it's interesting that Elon Musk released ChatGPT ahead of some major bots that are anticipated to come out from groups such as Google and Microsoft. Here's why, because Elon Musk is calling for a summer of pause on the development and release of AI and for there to be a governing body limiting what AI is allowed to do. Now, I think that Elon Musk released this ChatGPT bot in the fall to help with leading people to say, hey, this is actually a really big deal and we need to set some limitations. Something he actually says in the interview, and I'm going to play it bit by bit and comment on it in just a moment, is that often with regard to regulating bodies stepping in, they don't step in until something catastrophic has happened. And Elon Musk is warning that if something catastrophic happens and then we try to rope in and regulate artificial intelligence, he seems to think it will be too late, which is why I think he released his bot last fall ahead of other major groups doing so because he wants to see there are problems and it doesn't just have to do with whether or not high school and college students write their own papers. It's part of it, but that's not all of it. So I want to walk through what Elon Musk says to Tucker Carlson in this week's interview. It's really fascinating. He starts with a focus on safety and he ends with a focus on safety and the unknown ahead. So here's where he starts talking about the concern with regard to artificial intelligence. And he talked about how it's always been historically that we've known the smartest creature, the intelligent creature on Earth has been human beings. And now there's a concern or a belief among some people that artificial intelligence, some of these bots are in programming. Some of them are more creative and intelligible than human beings. That's the argument. So this idea that when AI becomes smarter than the smartest person alive, what happens? How do we handle that? What do we think about it? But what happens to human beings when we allow that to go on without any limitations? So here's where Elon Musk and talking to Tucker Carlson starts to talk about safety. We have these agencies to oversee things that uh, affect the public, where there, there could be public harm. Um, and you don't want companies cutting corners uh, on safety um, and then having people suffer as a result. So uh, that, that's why I've actually for a long time been a strong advocate of uh, AI uh, regulation. Um, so that I think regulation is, uh, f you know, I, I, it's, it's not fun to be regulated. It's, it's so, sort of uh, somewhat of a somewhat arduous to be, to be, to be regulated. So what we're seeing here is Elon Musk has a conscience with regard to AI. He's actually even commented, and I shared this with you last week here on Trending, that AI terrifies him. That's right, terrifies him. And by the way, this is my other take, and I'll talk about it a little bit more. Part of the reason why I think that Elon Musk bought Twitter was because what he discusses a lot about is the fact that, indeed, artificial intelligence and these algorithms governing TikTok, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, that these algorithms are telling people what to think and very compellingly trying to manipulate. And he uses the word manipulation to get people to think and act and function in a particular way. That's why I think he bought Twitter, because he wants to try to make there's a, sure there's a deregulation in terms of allowing for free speech and disregarding and downplaying the algorithms forcing people to think in a particular way. I think Elon Musk's conscience has kicked in. He's recognizing his part in AI has gone too far, and that's why he fought 
fought for Twitter was because he's trying to find some place in the digital world for people to still talk and think and spread ideas on their own without forced algorithms and faulty accounts, fake accounts, telling you what to think. That's why he helped to expose all the fake accounts on Twitter. He put a lot of skin on the game to do so. Okay, so now let's talk about where Elon Musk starts to share with Tucker Carlson about the dangers of artificial intelligence. AI is um, perhaps uh, more dangerous than, say, mismanaged uh, aircraft design or production maintenance or, or, or b bad car production uh, in the sense that it is, it has the potential, uh, however small one may regard that probability, but it is non-trivial, it has the potential of civilizational destruction. There's movies like Terminator, but it wouldn't quite happen like Terminator um, because the, the intelligence would be in the data centers. Right. Uh, the robot's just the end effector. But I think perhaps uh, what you may be alluding to here is that um, regulations are really only put into effect after something terrible has happened. That's correct. If that's the case for AI and we only put in regulations after something terrible has happened, it may be too late to actually put the regulations in place. The AI may be in control at that point. Did you hear that? The AI may be in control at that point. I mentioned this at the beginning of my conversation here, that usually regulation occurs when something catastrophic has occurred. He's saying that very well may be too late. And again, this is why I think that specifically Elon Musk got ahead of the game creating a company, OpenAI, that is non-for-profit so the public knows about the research and everything behind the AI that they're creating and so that they could release their bot ahead of other destructive bots so that hopefully there's some regulation before further bots are created and allowed to do things that violate and damage human beings, which is exactly what he just said. He said that AI and what's being created could lead to, quote, civilization destruction. What does that mean? Population control. Population control. That is very significant. My mom has been asking over the last year or so, he keeps, she keeps asking, what do you think the end game of AI is? What do you think the AI, end game of AI is? Now, we know on record, people such as Google co-founder Larry Page has outright said he wants to basically create a deity. And I'll talk about that a little bit more in a moment. But one thing that my mom's often commented on is that it has to do with this whole idea of population control. Call me a conspiracy theorist. I don't think so. It's very clear the population control is at the heart of many of the major governing bodies in society today and the laws we have, such as legalized abortion, hormonal contraception, and those people and their ideologies who founded these specific drugs and techniques in society and fight for them aggressively. It might argue in a rather demonic way because they believe that some people are better than others and we should decide who to kill and who not to kill. But what's scary is that if AI is unleashed to its furthest capability, which is what Elon Musk is saying is there, that AI has the ability to literally be a civilization destroyer. He says civilization destruction is what he sees coming from AI. And that's what's frightening. For everything Elon Musk is saying, I think there's a lot he isn't saying. And he said, and again, I'll mention it again, we need to have regulations before a catastrophic event occurs, rather than the way usually regulations start after a catastrophic event occurs. But here's the point in the interview. About five minutes into the conversation about artificial intelligence, Elon Musk, if you read the body language, begins squirming in his seat. He is clearly uncomfortable. He starts talking about his part in artificial intelligence. And this is when he begins to talk about how 
you can't turn off AI at a certain point. Uh, what you may be alluding to here is that um, regulations are really only put into effect after something terrible has happened. That's correct. If that's the case for AI, and we only put in regulations after something terrible has happened, it may be too late to actually put the regulations in place. The AI may be in control at that point. You think that's real? It is, it is conceivable that AI could take control and reach a point where you couldn't turn it off and it would be making, making the decisions for people? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. No, it's, that's, the, that's definitely the way things are headed, uh, for sure. Okay, so he's saying it's perceivable. But that's where things are headed, not might be headed. That is where artificial intelligence is headed, where we won't be able to rope it in. We won't have the control over it. We won't be able to just switch a button like I turn off my phone or turn off my computer. I mean, we don't even te turn off those things now. Oh, no, they're gathering data for more information for AI. I'm kidding. Not kidding. Just throwing it out there. Uh, this is all significant. And this is where then we start to hear, see again, Elon Musk is squirming at this point in the interview. He starts to talk about open AI. His company is non for profit company open so that people can have information about AI. It's non for profit. He said he loves for profit companies, but he's concerned about AI. And that's why they released in part ChatGPT which is based on chat GP, or based on GP4, which is an open AI. Now, here's the deal. This is where now in the interview between Elon Musk and Tucker Carlson, and if you're just joining us, you're listening to Trending with Timur, I'm going to give you the Catholic take on AI, but I'm bringing you up to speed on some of what we know about AI. For everything that is being said, there's a lot that isn't being said. And I think Elon Musk has grown a conscience on AI, which is why he founded this non-for-profit on AI and why he released his bot ahead of some of the others so that hopefully regulation sets in before another's release. It's more dangerous. So he starts to talk about his relationship and experience in talking with Google co-founder Larry Page, who used to be his friend. So listen to this from Elon Musk. The, the reason uh, OpenAI exists at all is that um, Larry Page and I used to be close friends, and I would yes. stay at his house in Palo Alto. And I would talk to him late into the night about uh, AI safety. And at least my perception was that Larry was not taking uh, AI safety uh, seriously enough. Um, and um, What did he say about it? He really seemed to be um, one, one, one sort of digital superintelligence, basically digital god, if you will, uh, uh, as soon as possible. Um, he wanted that? Yes. He's, he's made many public statements over the years uh, that, that the whole goal of Google is... Uh, uh, what's called AGI, artificial general intelligence or artificial superintelligence. Elon Musk is sounding the whistle. Are we listening? He's saying what, if you've been paying attention, Larry Page, co-founder of Google, has been saying for years and former friend of Elon Musk, but there's a rift specifically over this, that the goal of Google and the AI that Larry Page uses, and I'm talking about algorithms, the algorithms behind what you Google, algorithms behind Facebook, Twitter, TikTok, and others, all of this is bad news because what Larry Page wants is an artificial general intelligence. That is also known as Elon Musk refers to as an artificial general intelligence. That is a god. They want to create a god. Now, one of the significant things with regard to a view of God that people have in society is the idea that God chooses who lives and dies. And a lot of people don't believe in the one true God because they think that life is arbitrary. So if they're trying, if they think life is arbitrary and they're trying to create their own God, they want that God, 
which is AI that they're creating to arbitrarily decide who will live and who will die. Because as a moment ago, Elon Musk mentioned, he sees what the result, what the next steps of AI will be, will be civilization destroyers. That is population control. That is murder. For some reason, people think it's okay if they no longer are the ones that do it, that it's done by someone with a lab coat via abortion, via the prescription hormonal contraception. This time, no one has to feel bad, and people can't convert and decide not to kill people because it will be a machine, a machine choosing who will live and who will die. And remember I mentioned this is a part of the interview with Car Tucker Carlson where Elon Musk starts absolutely squirming. He's basically telling on Larry Page and saying that one, Larry Page, a co-founder of Google, has no accountability and no care for humans. Now get this. This next clip is well where Elon Musk talks about the potential for bad. His last straw, where the relationship ended with Google co-founder Larry Page, and when he's called a speciest. Here you go. There's also potential for bad. And so if if you've got some um, radical new technology, you want to try to take the set of actions that maximize probably it, it will do good and minimize probably it will do bad things. Yes. Um, it, it can't just be health leather. Let's just go, you know, barreling forward and, you know, hope for the best. And then at one point uh, I said, well, what about, you know, who we're going to make sure humanity's okay here. Um, <laughs> and, 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 um, uh, and then he called me a speciest. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> did, he use, did he use that term? Yes. And there were witnesses. I wasn't the only one there when he called me a speciest. And so I was like, okay, that's it. Uh, I've, yes, I'm a speciest. Okay. You got me. <laughs> what are you? <laughs> yeah, I'm fully a speciest. Um, busted. Um, so um, that was his last roll. Okay. I know Elon Musk is laughing here. Often we laugh when we're guilty or uncomfortable at some point elon musk grew a real conscience in the development of ai or recognized that conscience needed to be present he was literally called a specious by larry page what does that mean that you care about species that you care about creation that you care especially about human beings very important species the most important species on the planet and that is when the relationship ended. This is when Elon Musk said, that's the last straw. And notice he's taking this rift public. That's significant. That he is saying, hey, this is such a dangerous technology that these private conversations with someone who used to be my friend need to be taken public. Now, he starts to talk about how Google has had a monopoly on artificial intelligence and how that was very disconcerting. Listen to this. Google uh, had acquired DeepMind, and so Google and DeepMind together had about three quarters of all the uh, AI talent in the world. They obviously had a tremendous amount of money and uh, more computers than anyone else. So I'm like, okay, we're, we have a unipolar world here where there's just one, one company that it has close to a monopoly on uh, AI talent and, uh, and, and computers, uh, like so scaled computing. And the person who's in, in charge doesn't seem to care about safety. This is not good. So, uh, so then I thought, what's, what's the, the furthest thing from Google would be like a nonprofit uh, yeah. that is fully open because Google was closed uh, for profit. So that's why the open and open AI refers to open source, uh, you know, transparency so people know what's going on. Yes. And that it, it, we don't want to have like a, a 
I mean, while I'm normally in favor of for-profit, we don't want this to be sort of a profit-maximizing demon from hell. That's right. (laughs) That just never stops. Right. (laughs) So that's how open air was. So you want specious incentives here? Incentives that yes, like, I think we want humanity. we want pro human yeah let's make the future good for the humans yes yes because we're humans. I love that Tucker Carlson says we want specious incentives that is pro human views with regard to how AI is regulated. So again, what was significant? What was just said? It has been the case that Google and Google acquired DeepMind, which is a major AI British technology company, that between Google and Google-owned DeepMind, three-quarters of all AI talent is there. And we don't know what they're working on. It's a private company. We do not have full knowledge. And so what he did to combat that with his knowledge, and he has quite a bit on AI, he created OpenAI and released the bot chat GBT, or GPT. So that's really significant that we're paying attention because he's mentioning and he's really pointing out that he's pro-human. He wants to protect humans. And that is at the core of what his company, OpenAI, is doing. They are being transparent and pro-human in a certain respect, almost over focusing exclusively on the development of AI. Just because we can develop something, just because we can use something, does that mean that we should use it? Okay, listen here when the conversation starts to change and he shares, Elon Musk shares what he's worried about regarding AI. Okay, going with old sayings, the pen is mightier than the sword. Um, so, the, yeah. it do, what specifically are you worried about? Okay, going with old sayings, the pen is mightier than the sword. Um, so, the, if you have um, a super intelligent uh, AI that is capable of writing uh incredibly well and and, in a way that is very influential, um, you know, convincing. Uh, And then, and, and is, and is constantly figuring out what is more, what is more, what is more convincing to people over time and then enter social media, for example, Twitter, uh, but also Facebook and others, you know, um, and, and potentially manipulates public opinion in a way that is very bad. Um, How would we even know? Wow, did you hear what Elon Musk just said? He said, how would we even know what AI is doing? He's saying it can, and we already know it is, manipulating public opinion. This is very bad, and it's influencing through that public manipulation with algorithms, again, that are already existing in technology such as Google, Instagram, TikTok, Facebook, and others. We'll be right back here on Trending to give you the Catholic take on AI. I'll give you some more thoughts on the whole conversation surrounding Elon Musk with Tucker Carlson discussing artificial intelligence, the need for limitations, and the need for a summer of pause on releasing or developing further AI technology. Listening to Trending with Timory, where you can discuss what matters most to you. Join the conversation, 888-914-9149. If you were not with us, I just gave you some of the latest update on artificial intelligence. A few more things I think you should know, and I'll give some of the Catholic take on this entire conversation. Uh, And I think that that's really significant because when we see the development of artificial intelligence, 
uh, in how it functions. Now, uh, one question coming from James from Covina, California, he had asked, is that AI machine going to be in a form of a robot? There are different versions of how AI functions on a smaller level, on a larger level. It can be a program and that program is created to function on its own. It can be put into a robot or a machine. I use the example, for example, of something such as an iRobot, which is you know, a low-level, simple example of a uh, vacuum, right? That goes through your house, vacuums the house. Once it thinks it's clean, quote, thinks, right? <laughs> Once it has like a certain like, perception based on readers that it's clean, it returns to its its docking station. But you have other forms in programs, such as programs that cre- can create proteins. I'll talk about that here in just a moment. Uh, but here's the deal. You need to listen to this episode and share it if you've not already heard. I explained and walked through and I played the interview with Elon Musk talking about AI and the major concerns he has. There's a lot of what he's saying that we need to pay attention to. The concern he mentions for manipulation of human beings via the algorithms used by AI and how they have the potential to function and the potential in particular to be population destroyers. That is to kill people, to engage in population control and murder. And when we talk about algorithms that manipulate what people think and believe, that already occurs with some of the algorithms, AI algorithms that are functioning currently that determines what is on your Instagram, TikTok, Facebook feed, Google search engine. All of those things are already forms of artificial intelligence functioning. It's not just a robot. It's not just an algorithm behind social media. It's an algorithm. It is a program that is also creating, for example, proteins. For example, and we'll talk about that in a moment, that specifically, uh, but I think it's significant. Again, Elon Musk was called a specious. That is by Larry Page, co-founder of Google. That is that he's concerned essentially more about human beings than AI. And... Elon Musk is trying to intervene. Now, there were three research papers released in 2022 in the Journal of Science. Now, University of Washington School uh, has actually talked a lot about that, the University of Washington School of Medicine, and basically emphasizing that artificial intelligence, some of the programs, AI programs, have already created and mapped proteins, and they can even guide these proteins more accurately and quicker than we can. And I think that's significant. So there are three papers, one published last summer in July, indicating in the journal Science that AI can generate new protein shapes in two different ways. And another paper published in the journal Science came out on September 15th, talking about how AI software uh, can, again, be a tool that's creating proteins. For example, protein MPNN, where it actually talks about how the software of the AI can actually do this 200 times faster than prior software could. We're not just talking about you and I functioning, going through the process, but the software is doing it themselves. And in fact, in that September 15th paper that was released, it talks about how no expert customization is needed. That is, you and I don't have to have some extreme level of expertise to run the software that can create proteins. Now, all of this comes very significantly to further conversation where Baker's lab has actually confirmed in another paper released in September that the machines have the ability to generate new proteins, specifically nanoproteins. Now, what was said is that these proteins that can be created, for example, a nano protein, and it's creating rings, these nanoscale rings. And these nanoscale rings can be used to customize 
nanomachines. Now, when we talk about nanomachines, the body has a ton of them. Functions in the body, uh, things such as bacteria, viruses, uh, it can synthesize proteins even within the body. This is what these nanomachines and functions in the body are. Now, those can be created, these proteins, by the, the AI programs. Now, we have an example back in 2008. 2008, that's 15 years ago, where the UCLA California Nanosystem Institute talked about the release of anti-cancer drugs within the cell and how a little, basically, a nanobot could go in and do this. Now, New York University Department of Chemistry has been playing with the DNA and specifically using, we have the example of, these algorithms, these programs, these AI programs. Again, I mean, get that. The fact that a AI program can do something far more quickly than a human being, 200 times faster than previous softwares that are run by human beings. Now, these softwares don't even need to be run by people with experience with regard to creating proteins. I and mean, it's quite fascinating but scary. Now, the intent for these proteins back 15, 20 years ago was for military use, medical use, and manufacturing. So what can happen? The weaponization of the creation of bioweapons, we don't have any experience in that. We could talk a lot about uh, COVID and things that have occurred and how these things are being created that can damage human bodies. But we're also talking as well about the potential to heal. But to what end do we allow technology to go so far that in an attempt to cure diseases that kill people, well, death is a good thing. Death is that next step into eternal beatitude in heaven with God. That's why how we handle artificial intelligence, we have moral culpability here. Now, this is all interesting because the programs that are developing these proteins could be coaxed into self-replicating. And through self-replicating, we're talking about combining into larger forms of customized systems. Again, what we're seeing is that artificial intelligence programs that are currently there can create certain types of life. I'm not talking about human life, but functions and interventions in the world that specifically Elon Musk in the interview I just played, you need to go back and listen to the podcast, download it, download the relevant radio app and listen and share this episode. I want to hear your thoughts on this as well. So email me, head over to my page, relevantradio.com forward slash trending to give your thoughts here. We know a lot about what's happening with artificial intelligence, and this is the moment for a moment of pause as Elon Musk is calling for, and the Catholic Church has a take. Catholic Church in the Pontifical Academy for Life, Pope Francis, Pope Benedict, and others have been warning, have really been warning about artificial intelligence and its function and interaction in society. And I'm going to give more thoughts coming up next week on AI and specifically where the Catholic Church is working through this, because this is really a two-part conversation. What the latest on AI is, what some of the concerns are, and we're going to dive deeper into this, but here's some concern. The Pontifical Academy for Life signed a declaration back in 2020, along with Microsoft and IBM, talking about the importance of transparency, inclusion, so that these systems that are being created uh, are transparently shared, that they're pro-human, that they see the value of all human beings as equal, and that they don't single certain human beings out for the death and destruction of them. This same document, this declaration, talked about accountability that the AI systems can't be partial to certain human beings or creatures, non-human creatures. It needs to be reliable. And that there needs to be security and privacy settings that 
are implemented into AI. I'll give you more thoughts next week on what the Catholic Church teaches about AI, but this is your update so far.